This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 6, verses 43 through 45. We'll begin on page 863 in the Bibles in your rows if you'd like to, to follow along as I read. Luke 6, 43 through 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil of, out of the evil, I'm sorry, out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. This is the word of the Lord. Well, some of you barely had a chance to turn to the passage before that one was over. It's just a short bit uh, this morning. So just to give you a little more uh, time to reflect, let me read to you another story. One fine winter's day, when Piglet was brushing away the snow in front of his house, he happened to look up, and there was Winnie the Pooh. Pooh was walking round and round in a circle, thinking of something else. And when Piglet called him, he just went on walking. Hello, said Piglet. What are you doing? Hunting, said Pooh. Hunting what? Tracking something, said Winnie the Pooh, very mysteriously. Tracking what, said Piglet, coming closer. That's just what I ask myself. I ask myself, what? What do you think you'll answer, said Piglet. I shall have to wait until I catch up with it, said Winnie the Pooh. Now look there. He pointed to the ground in front of him. What do you see there? Tracks, said Piglet. Paul marks. He gave a little squeak of excitement. Oh, Pooh, do you think it's a, a, a woozle? Maybe, said Pooh. Sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. You can never tell with Paul marks. With these few words, he went on tracking, and Piglet, after watching him for a minute or two, ran after him. Winnie the Pooh had come to a sudden stop and was bending over the tracks in a puzzled sort of way. What's the matter? asked Piglet. It's a very funny thing, said Bear. But there seem to be two animals now. This whatever it was has been joined by another whatever it is, and the two of them are now proceeding in company. Would you mind coming with me, Piglet, in case they turn out to be hostile animals? Piglet scratched his ear in a nice sort of way and said that he had nothing to do until Friday and would be delighted to come in case it really was a whistle. You mean in case it really is two whistles, said Winnie the Pooh. And Piglet said that anyhow, he had nothing to do until Friday. And so off they went together. Now the gag, right, is they're walking around the tree and it's their own tracks that they're seeing, of course, right? You need, to, those of you listening online, right, you need the picture almost to see that. But I read this to you uh, because Winnie the Pooh is not the only one tracking something. Or to put it a different way, he's not the only one puzzled by the source of some signs showing up in their life. They're not the only one looking for answers to things that seem to be appearing before their path. What are your real problems? Not just the surfacey ones, but your deepest problems. Can you name them? The Bible talks about this kind of thing an awful lot, and especially about the concept of sin. 
And if you take the Bible seriously, then you know that sin is a big problem. But even granting that for a moment, there still remains the question, why do I sin? Where does it come from? And if you're a Christian, you can't avoid this question, nor can you settle for simple and surfacey answers. And even if you're not a Christian, I bet that you're asking some similar questions, maybe with different terms, but similar kinds of questions. Why do I do the things that I do? Why do I get so upset when I feel slighted? Why can't I control my anger with my children? Why am I so irritable with my coworkers? Why am I so bothered by even the littlest things? Why can't I control my lust? Why do I let people walk all over me? Why do I seem to sabotage relationships with the people who care the most about me? Why do you do the things that you do? It seems like a simple question, but it's often tough to get at the answers to that. Listen to what Timothy Lane and Paul Tripp, two, two therapists, two counselors, say about trying to answer that question. I think we have the words on the screen there. They write, your task is like a medical doctor's. Your diagnosis of what is wrong will determine what you think the cure is. If a doctor diagnoses an infection, she will prescribe an antibiotic. If she diagnoses cancer, she'll prescribe radiation or chemotherapy. The cure only works if the diagnosis is correct. If the diagnosis is wrong, the cure may lead to painful, even deadly consequences. In the early stages, things may go well, but over time, the situation worsens. The cure only works if the diagnosis is correct. And in our short little passage this morning, Jesus is telling us where we should be hunting for the source of our problems. Rather than just addressing behaviors on the outside, or even thinking through the circumstances that we find ourselves in, Jesus says we need to look deeper to the wellspring from which our actions flow. He says we need to look at the heart. And in this teaching, again, just a few short verses, Jesus gives us some really profound insights about the human heart. And we'll see that the, the heart produces, the heart abounds, and finally the heart treasures. All right, so let's think about it that way this morning. First, the heart produces. And you notice here, Jesus is using the everyday language of food and farming and agriculture. This is the language that he traffics in most often. And here it's, it's trees, verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. Each tree is known by its fruit. So you can't go to an apple tree and look for an orange. It's no use trying to get figs from thorn bushes or grapes from brambles. That's not how it works, right? Each tree bears its own fruit. And this is a principle that is obvious to all of us, right? The fruit from any tree flows from its nature. It flows from the kind of tree that it is. The fruit doesn't create the nature of the tree. The nature of the tree leads to the production of a particular kind of fruit. Now, Jesus says the same thing is true with all of us. It's not the outward things that make someone good or evil, but rather it's the inner person, the heart that generates or produces good or evil. Verse 45, the good person 
out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the hearts, his mouth speaks. The heart produces good or evil. Which means then, if things need to change in our lives, it's no use just focusing on the outside. Those things flow from somewhere deeper within us. Flow from the heart. And what does the Bible mean when it talks about the heart? Because we use that word to describe any number of things, right? We talk about the physical organ that pumps blood through the body. We use the term heart for the seat of emotion, right? Especially on Valentine's Day, right? You see hearts, pink and and red hearts plastered all over the place. We can say heart to mean the center of something. Let's get to the heart of the problem. Today and probably right now in locker rooms, All across the country, right, football coaches are challenging their players to play with some heart. There we mean something like effort and enthusiasm. But what does the Bible mean? What does Jesus mean when he talks about the heart? Jesus here is talking about the very center of who we are, our inner desires, our essential motives, not emotions so much. The Bible actually uh, tends to locate emotions center in the gut, which is actually where you feel a lot of emotion a lot of times, isn't it? Anxiety usually shows up in the gut. Sometimes it's nervousness there, the flutters in your stomach when you're uh, excited about someone and so on. But biblically speaking, the heart is the decision-making core of who we are. J.I. Packer puts it this way, the heart is the central dynamic core of personal life. The human heart is the controlling source of all we do an expression of what we are. Dallas Willard says the heart is the executive center of the human life. The heart is the active instrument of purpose in deciding, which means your heart has agency. It produces. Things flow from it. Sometimes we use the expression like, uh, he made me so angry. As if, right, my anger is caused entirely by the other person. Now, obviously, people can do things to you, sometimes really awful things. And those can be triggers or occasions for a response. But essentially, at the deepest level, the heart is the source of our response, even if the circumstances are the occasion or the trigger, which is why, by the way, everyone doesn't react the same way to the same triggers, right? There's different things going on in the heart. This is a pretty complex thing to think about. The reason Jesus brings this up and the reason it's before us this morning is for the purpose of causing us to do some self-reflection, to do some self-examination. Because Jesus really here is riffing on Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, which says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. I've been reading a book this week uh, by a man named John Flavel, a British pastor 400 years ago. And he wrote a book uh, called Keeping the Heart. And this is what he says. He says, the keeping and right managing of the heart in every condition is the one great business of a Christian's life. Keeping the heart, being attuned to your heart. Examining your heart is important, he says, because it's the wellspring of life. Your heart produces the things that flow out into the other areas of your heart, of your life. The heart actually is the source of what you put out 
into the world, right? The direction is inside out rather than outside in, or at least for the core motivations of who we are. The heart produces. But then secondly, Jesus says the heart abounds. Similar concept here. Verse 45, out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Some translations say out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, Susan Wise Bauer is a professor at the College of William and Mary. And she wrote a book, uh, this is a number of years ago, but she wrote a book called The Art of the Public Grovel. And it's basically a study of public scandals and the apologies that followed them. In many cases, the non-apologies that followed them. And you know what I mean by non-apology, right? It's like a kind of an apology that's not really an apology. It's like when you hear somebody say, I'm really sorry to all those who've been hurt, (laughs) right? Which is, if you catch it, right, if you break down the words, it's not actually an apology. There's no admission of wrongdoing there. It's just, I'm, I'm really sorry that you feel badly. But it's not an actual admission of guilt. But another really common one that she points to that's often done in these sort of public apologies, public grovels, she says, is when we say something like, you know, what I said or what I did is not reflective of my character. That's not who I am. Now, that's better, because at least there's some admission of wrongdoing there. But even here, Jesus would push back. Because we say, that's not my character. That's out of character. That's not who I am. Well, Jesus would say, well, then where does that come from? That's not who you are. But where did it rise up from? Where did it happen from? Is it all outside in, or did something come from the inside out? Jesus is telling us there may be a triggering event, but nothing can spill out of you that wasn't already in there to begin with. You know, when my kids carry a cup of something around the house, I just see them with a cup and I get really anxious, you know. (laughs) And my first thought is, why are they carrying the (laughs) the cup in the first place? My second thought is, what's in the cup, right? Because if it's, uh, I I just know, right, that they're going to bump into the wall or into each other or stumble or into me possibly, uh, but if it's water in the cup, no big deal, right? If it's a cup of soup, a little bit bigger deal. You get the little noodles to get up. Uh, if it's grape juice, really big deal, right, for our furniture or for our carpet. Point being, though, right, I'm concerned about what's in the cup because nothing will spill out of it that isn't already in there to begin with. Bumps can happen, but nothing will flow out of the cup that wasn't already in there. And bumps can happen in life. They do happen. People can wrong you. People can hurt you. Bad things can happen to you, and things will spill out, but the bumps don't create those things so much as they reveal those things. Jesus is saying nothing spills out that isn't in there somewhere to begin with. Please don't hear what I'm not saying here. Please don't hear me minimizing the bumps and the hurts and the difficulties that happen in life. There are really, please hear me on this, there are really, really awful things that can happen to us or are done to us. Let's not downplay that for a second. But let's also not externalize and completely explain away our behaviors or responses as if they're caused entirely by those things, as if we don't have culpability or we don't have agency in this world. Because if we say things like, that's not who I am, it was just a bad day, that's not my character, she drove me to it. If we do that, all we're going to address is is our circumstances or our external behaviors and never go deeper to the level of the heart. And then guess what? 
If that's all we deal with, if that's all we think about, the hard truth is we're going to get bumped again. And if we've never dealt with anything deeper, that same stuff is going to keep spilling out the next go around. The knocks, the bumps, the triggers don't create these things in us so much as they reveal them. I mentioned John Flavel and his book, uh, Keeping the Heart. And I I just want to let you know that he... uh, This is not a sort of an ivory tower look at this concept. He had a really difficult life, really difficult life in his his personal family, some tragedies of children lost, relationships strained. He had difficult health problems himself, chronic physical challenges. His ministry, his vocational life was a really uh, difficult thing. Shortly after he was ordained and became a minister as a young man in England, the act of uniformity was passed, which at the time outlawed, this 400 years ago again, outlawed all nonconformist brands of Christianity. So again, two years after he's ordained, he gets a job, he's a, a parish pastor, and he's expelled from his job. Now his people want him to continue to minister, and so he continues to preach and teach, but he has to do so underground in private homes, in woods. At one point he set up a, a rocky island estuary that was the seat of his ministry, and it would uh, be submerged at high tide so no one could track the people who would come out to it. All the while he's dodging arrest, and he did this for 20 years. Think about that. 20 years be easy for him to attribute his deepest problems to the circumstances around him. Instead, though, he said, we need to look and attend to our hearts. He wrote this. He said, all I beg of you is this. He's very gentle in this book, by the way. But he says, all I beg of you is this, that you would step aside often to talk with God in your own heart. Every evening, ask yourself, oh, my heart, where have you been today? If the heart really does abound, if what flows out of us comes from within us, then we can't really find lasting change in our life through behavior modification. Now, behavior is absolutely important. The words you speak, the things you do, really important, but you have to address those things from the inside out rather than from the outside in. Imagine for a second if you have an old fruit tree in your yard. And, uh, you know, for years and years, it gave all kinds of great fruit. But then in this last couple of years, you've noticed the fruit is, is uh, not so appetizing. In fact, you go out, let's pretend it's spring, right? You go out next spring, and, and uh, not only is it not appetizing, but the fruit is, is kind of withery, withered, and, and it begins to smell. It's nothing you would want to eat at all. And, and so you think, I've got to remedy this. This is the, the tree that's in my front yard. This is what all my neighbors see. This is the, the centerpiece of our landscaping. And so what if you just went out to Kroger's and you bought all the best produce you could find, and then made a stop by Ace Hardware on your way home, and you got a staple gun. And then you began to staple up all the fruit onto the tree, right? Oranges and bananas, and maybe throw an avocado in there just to spruce things up a little bit. And you staple it all to the tree, and you invite your neighbors over, and you say, Behold, my fruit tree. What are your neighbors going to think? Are they going to say, Wow, I mean, look at how he remedied the problem. No, they're going to think you're insane, right? outside in. You can't address the fruit without figuring out what's going on with the disease in the tree, right? In the same way in our lives, we can't just rearrange circumstances. We can't just modify behavior that's just stapling on fruit without addressing what's really going on 
deeper down. Real and lasting change comes from the inside out. Which brings us to the last point, right? The heart produces, the heart abounds, and then finally Jesus says, the heart treasures. Verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Now, what does it mean to treasure something? Right? When you treasure something, you assign it worth or value. You hold it dear. You protect it. You cherish it. I guess you can think of Gollum and the Lord of the Rings, right? When he's, my precious, you know. And if you've read the books or watched the movies, you know that his, uh, the worth, the esteem, the value he's poured into this ring, it drives everything that he does in the movie. Now, less sinisterly, it's what we all do. Our hearts find something to cling on to, to hold dear, to protect, to cherish above all else. And whatever that is, it drives the decisions and the actions in our lives. Another way to talk about this is worship. You might know that the old English word, right, the etymology of the word worship, the old English word is worthship. That is, we worship what we believe has worth or has weight or has value. We worship, in other words, what we treasure. This then drives our attitudes and our actions. For example, if you treasure harmony above all else, right? If that's true, then you probably have trouble with confrontation or disagreement. You might find it really hard to to speak up or to go against the flow of the people around you. Or if you treasure safety and security above all else, it's probably really hard for you to be radically generous to others. Or if you treasure respect and affirmation, you may have trouble taking criticism. Everything can feel like an attack, even if the other person's trying to help you. The point being, if there's an action or an attitude that you think in your life, you're like, why do I do that? What needs to change? You can't just staple on fruit. It's a diagnostic question we need to be asking. What am I treasuring? What's beneath this? And the answer to that question, which is not always easy to get at, by the way, and sometimes it's really helpful to have other people talk that through with you. The answer to that question, what am I treasuring, helps explain why we do a lot of what we do. And it's also really helpful when thinking about then how do we make a change? There's another uh, old uh, pastor preacher named Thomas Chalmers. And he's writing about the same thing. Well, actually, it was a sermon. He gave a sermon about the same kind of thing. And he said, one of the tricky things about this is even if you can identify what it is that you're treasuring, it's really hard to stop treasuring one thing and start treasuring something else, right? Like, how do you just stop desiring something, especially when it's kind of compulsively desiring? He says you you can't really uh, fall out of love with something unless you fall in love with something else more. And he called this the expulsive power of a new affection. The way to grow in the Christian life, he said, is not to focus primarily on behavior modification, nor is it to try to ensure that your circumstances are ideal, as if you could really do that in the first place. But the center of life change, according to Christianity, is in cultivating an affection for Jesus Christ above all things, treasuring Jesus in our heart. And when we begin to do that, when we begin to treasure him, his life, his words, his kingdom, it begins to push out or reorients 
all those other things that are contrary to the life that he wants for us. And how do we do that? How do we cultivate love for Jesus? Well, the old theologians used to call it the means of grace, right? Regularly coming into contact with the story of Jesus through worship, through prayer, through scripture, through fellowship. We see Jesus in these things. We remind ourselves of why he is to be treasured above all else in us. And then we begin to treasure Jesus in his incarnation. He took on flesh and came to us. We see him willing to step down out of heaven, born into this world, walk among us. And when we treasure him doing that for us, we start to value moving toward others in their poverty and in their pain and in their hurt. It puts to death the smugness in us. If he can go from the highest of heavens down into a manger and eventually into the pit of death, then is there anything that we could say, I'm too good for this? Of course not. We treasure Jesus in his life. He lived the life that we should have lived. He was devoted to the word of God and the works of God. One pastor said that, he did the, the math, that there are about 1,800 verses of Jesus speaking in the New Testament. 10% of those are direct quotations from Scripture. Another 20% above that are allusions to Scripture. In other words, when Jesus got bumped, it was the Word of God that spilled out of him because that's what was in his heart. And doesn't that make you want to hide God's Word in your heart, too. He was devoted not just to the word of God, but, but to the works of God as well. He cared for the needy and the weak, the broken and the hurting. He came for the sick. He came for you. And as we treasure Jesus in his life, his priorities began more and more to become our priorities. Treasure Jesus in his death. He died for us. He took our sin unto himself. He died in our place. All our false gods and wrong ideas and misplaced affections, he took them to the grave and he left them there. Why would we want to go digging them back up again? Treasure Jesus in his resurrection. Jesus triumphed over all our enemies, sin and Satan and death himself. He's victorious over all the things that can truly hurt us and defeat us. Why do we have to then be afraid? The resurrection power of Jesus can cast out all of our fear. We treasure Jesus in his ascension. He now sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, where he intercedes for us. He speaks up for us. He sent the Holy Spirit to live within us and empower us, which means we're never truly alone. We treasure Jesus as we await his kingdom. He's going to come again and bring with him the new heavens and the new earth, which means then we don't have to cling to anything here so tightly because we know there's another world coming. Our hearts will change when the object of our affection changes, the expulsive power of a new affection. And since the heart then is the wellspring of our life, as our hearts change, the direction of our heart toward Jesus, then that will change other areas of our life. It will follow. Before we pray and come to the Lord's Supper, let's just take a moment and be quiet. I know we did this earlier when we were confessing our sins, but let's take a moment of silence. I'll give you, you can go to the next slide there. Just a couple of questions. You can use these now, but, but maybe throughout the week. Ask yourself, take a moment to examine your hearts. What am I producing? What's the fruit in my life? And are there things that need to change? What's abounding within me? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what is my inner life filled up with? 
that we know is bound to spill out at some point? What am I treasuring? John Flavel's question, oh my heart, where have you been today? So let's take a moment. I'll, I'll keep an eye on the clock. It's, I'll give us about 60 seconds. It's going to feel long. We don't do this very often. But it's really not that long. But give a moment to, to think and to pray and examine our hearts, and then we'll pray together. Lord, would you help us to pay attention to our hearts, or as the writer of Proverbs says, to keep our heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Would you help us to sow into our hearts the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ? Help us to treasure him, his words, his love, and so drive out other rival affections and Even as we come to your table this morning, Lord, we ask that you would fill our hearts. Now we pray the words that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's New City. C-I-N-C-Y dot org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.